ACN efforts. This episode is sponsored by Liquid IV. And I gotta say, this is a delicious way to rehydrate and fuel those endurance activities. Or if you just wanna zhuzh up your water. As some of you know, I you know, I kinda was training for the unsanctioned McKenzie Marathon. I, it's postponed, I will say that. But Liquid IV was there for me in that bottle until heat and uh, fitness just not coming along. I can't blame the hydration of Liquid IV. I blame myself. It's some tasty stuff. I love the lemon-lime. Non-GMO, free from gluten, dairy, and soy, so you know your burly vegan digs it. That might be the problem. Maybe guys like me are just not supposed to run marathons. We're just, like, too beefy. I'm just like a beefy guy. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use promo code CNF at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using the promo code CNF at liquidiv.com. I feel like, like I don't really understand an essay until I've read it a few times. Oh, hey, CNFers, it's CNF Pod, that creative nonfiction podcast, a show where I speak to badass people about telling true stories. I'm Brendan O'Meara. Yes. Look who's back. Stephen Moore, a writer based out of Corvallis, Oregon, just up the five from me down here in the Emerald City. Stephen's new book is The Distance from Slaughter County, Lessons from Flyover Country. It is published by the University of North Carolina Press. It's a great, punchy essay collection about the Midwest, what it stands for, and how Stephen views his time growing up in Iowa from the inside and now the outside, having lived in Oregon for close to 10 years and the West Coast even longer. Essays range from how coastal reporters cover Iowa, uh, Shania Twain, Garth Brooks, the sitcom Home Improvement, Blockbuster Video, and Ida Tarbell and standard oil. Yeah, it all that's in there in like 150 pages. I'm bang for your word buck. Make sure you're heading over to brendanamero.com hey, hey, for show notes and to sign up for the Rage Against the Algorithm newsletter. Just click the lightning bolt on my website if you happen to be over there. Or visit rageagainsttheallgorithm.substack.com. First of the month, no spam. Still can't beat it. It goes up to 11, by the way. If you dig the show, consider sharing it with your networks, whatever the, whatever the shape of those, those networks look like these days, so we can grow the pie and get this CNF and thing into the brains of other CNFers who need the juice. You can also leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts, so the wayward CNFer might be like, well, shit, I'll give that a shot. I don't know who that guy is, but I'll give that show a shot because I know who that guy is. You follow me. There's also patreon.com slash Pod. We got two more $4 a month patrons. Yes. LaVon Ellis and Natasha Varner. Thank you very, very much. That is awesome. And it came on my birthday, so I was like, yes. Uh, you could drop a few bucks in the hat if you glean some value. The show is free, but as you know, it sure as hell ain't cheap. I've been doing these one-on-one -on -one calls of late, and I've long wanted to provide more value for patrons. Uh, and I'm like, what can I give you? Like, what can I make? And there's only 25 patrons, which is, you know, great given the size of the show, but there's only 25. And until that number gets unruly, let's say, I don't know, thank you, Lachlan, for that, north of 100, uh, very unlikely as that is, uh, maybe the best thing I can offer is my time. You know, the upper tiers will get perhaps quarterly phone calls with transcripts and audio for your records so you can revisit it. Uh, lower tiers might just get a... Uh, a shorter call or a same call, uh, but no transcripts and audio. You know, like, just without the extra bells and whistles. Frankly, given the scope of the show, I don't see the Patreon or the patron count far exceeding my ability to deliver sage counsel in this morass we're all in. Shout out to Athletic Brewing, of course, my favorite non-alcoholic beer out there. Not a paid plug. I'm just a brand ambassador, and I want to celebrate this amazing product. If you head to athleticbrewing.com, Use the promo code BRENDAN020 at checkout. Somebody, please use it. You get a nice little discount for on your first order. Uh, speaking of like you know, promo codes and like affiliate type, type ad reads, uh, um, often 
uh, we don't get money for reading the ad. We get money when you buy the stuff. So, yeah. Well, I don't get any money for this one. Not an official sponsor of the podcast. I just get points for, like, T-shirts and beer. Uh, give it a shot. A little more about Stephen. He also is the author of The Longer We Were There, a memoir of a part-time soldier, which won the AWP Award for Creative Nonfiction. His work has appeared in the Kenyon Review, Georgia Review, and more. So, let's just get into it. Now we talk a lot about just the essay and voice and, my goodness... This is good to have Steven back. Riff. The 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 mark of a really good essay collection is just uh, like I I think a lot. I'm not the person who's coined this term, but it's just like oh, you want to like have fun hanging or you enjoyed hanging out with that person's mind. And it was like, oh, oh so that's what yeah. I kind of, that's what I enjoyed about your book so much. I'm like, oh, I'm having fun where Steven is taking me through, through this book. I really appreciate that. Yeah. That, I mean, I agree. I feel like that's one of the, one of the ways that I know that I'm in like uh, a book that I'm, I want to be in um, is just like enjoying the way that they think and being surprised by the way that someone thinks and, just enjoying the like where they're where they're leading me because it's never a place that I would have been able to predict but that's what that's what makes it kind of like exciting and invigorating to me so that's super cool to hear and that gets to a level of um next level let's say reading like a writer you know and, and at what point did that switch turn on for you where you were starting to not just read for entertainment but you had a uh, and uh, next step literacy of reading like a writer, reading like you're going to maybe uh, analyze something and try to convey something on a deeper level to a reader. A lot of the like momentum that I get in writing is when I read something and feel the urge to respond to it, where like it, either because I disagree with it or because I just want to keep going with their line of thought. And it's not, it's like by no means like every book, but especially when I'm reading a lot of books and I'll see patterns um, among them and I'll want to put them in conversation with each other or I'll want to just like be part of the conversation that they have initiated. Um, it's that like instinct. Like I'm just excited by what they're talking about. I have more to say about it. Maybe I have like a disagreement, but I want to take, this writer's ideas and just participate and put them in to conversation with either with me or with another book that I read. I think these two, these two writers are talking to each other, even if they're not doing it directly. And I just want to like step in and like let uh, the essay be a form for making that conversation possible. And uh, I, I, that's just like one of the things, like one of the kind of sources of energy that I get from writing is being able to like, just be excited about the work that other people have done. And just like, I want to keep going with it. Like the, the, the dialogue that they've started, I want to, I want it to keep going and I want it to, to participate. How often do you find that you need to reread an essay for it to really, really sink in? I feel like every time I feel like, like I don't really understand an essay until I've read it a few times. Like, I mean, there's always like the, the joy of like the first, the first pass, the first reading of it. But anytime I'm, I really, really am interested. Like it's always like rereading and rereading and rereading. Yeah. All the time. I mean, um, I was just pulling out, Zadie Smith's Feel Free, because it, it occurred to me that I read that book for the first time, right as I was starting to work on the distance from Slaughter County. And it was just like her cadence and her kind of balance of like humor and seriousness. And like, um, in some moments, she's really like academic and like scholarly in her thinking. In some moments, she's very, like, almost like flip and personal and um, there's just like a great like variation of, of how she composes her work. And I, th I think that like some of her like cadence and some of her just style like interested me a lot and got me moving in a lot of ways. And I was, I had been rereading like those essays for, 
you know, the last couple of years, just like pulling the Joni Mitchell essay off the shelf or pulling the Key and Peele essay off the shelf or the Jay-Z essay or the one on Joy and just like going back and like always being surprised, like, oh yeah, this like this Joni Mitchell piece also like spends a lot of time on Kierkegaard and like the story of Abraham and like always being surprised at the way that she does something. But it always takes like rereading it to really like understand and like like digest it for me what sucks about let's say like reading and trying to connect dots across various influences uh versus say like listening to music or watching movies it's like you watch a movie it's like okay that's two hours that's cool like you can kind of get in yeah. get in and out and you can rewatch it again and it's like okay four hours all right i'm getting but like reading is, at least for for me especially, is very time intensive. It's I, I'm not a terribly fast reader. I know some people that can just fly through books with comprehension. I am not like yeah. that. I cannot do it. I envy them greatly. And so it's like to get to be able to connect dots across various writers and see those influences in the family tree of a of a writer. It's like it's great if you can get to that point. But my God, it's so like it takes such a frustratingly amount of uh, so much time. Like compared to like say music or painting or yeah. movies. Yeah, and like I think I've started gravitating toward like really short books lately, in part because I know that when I respond really positively to a book, my first instinct is going to be like I want to read that again. But if it's a, if it's a gigantic like tome of a book, there's no way that's going to be possible. But like these, you know, these like hundred page books or hundred fifty page books, I've been like super excited about lately because like if they if they pull it off, like the first thing I want to do is read it again, and like that makes it not just consume another like three months of my time. Like it's a if you can do it, you can you have space for it, and I think that's like a cool like uh, just a cool way to be able to engage with a book. Yeah, when. Uh... Yeah, the what I liked that you said a moment ago too was when you're kind of like looking for a certain degree of inspiration. You, I like pull that one essay down from the shelf from this book and be like, all right, I'll, it's like I want to like unpack that one a little more, or, or I know yeah. what I'm writing. I I want to kind of like approach that star in some sense. And it's like pulling down yeah. a, an album. You know, if you're a musician, you're like, you know, I. I I need to listen to this record. Maybe it's gonna that's gonna get into my, steep, get into my bones. I want to steepen that sound. It's gonna help me write riffs better. And I love that about books being kind of like that too. Books as mentors, books as inspiration. Not to plagiarize, but to in, to really inform and inspire. I I, I kind of like that. Uh, that. You just go to your shelf. All right, I need to pull this sucker down. And there ends up being like, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I like for me, there's kind of like this automatic sort of like juxtaposition that happens. Cause like when I was working on this project, there was like one stack of books that I was reading for content. Like I was like, they were research like sources, like outside sources, like whether it was one of like Ida Tarbell's books or like a book about the Midwest or whatever the case was, there was like one stack of books that I was reading because I wanted to be like specifically in conversation with like the kind of work that they were doing and the topic that they were talking about. And then there was another stack that I was just really excited about, like stylistically. And none of none of the like content shows up in the book. I'm not really responding to those writers in like a in a content kind of way, but I was really excited about the way they were making essays or the way they were making prose. And I just like wanted to be close to their work and being able to pull it off the shelf, spend half an hour with it and then try to do it, like try to like do my best like impression of it. And then whatever, whatever like failed attempt I make to do that uh, ends up being like the closest I could do. But you end up having this kind of like juxtaposition between like the stuff that's really, really inspiring from like a stylistic kind of way. And then the people that I want to be in conversation with just because of like the idea and having that, like that kind of distance and that kind of tension was kind of fun uh, to, to play with because there ends up being, yeah, just like a sort of a tension. Like when I was writing about Ida Tarbell, like the book stylistically that I was really into was the, uh, the novel um, Bleichman is in trouble. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Heard it's of it, yeah. Absolutely wonderful novel. And there's just this like really interesting confidence in the like prose style that 
the novelist has this amazing understanding of her character's psychology. There's a certain rhythm to it. It moves really, really well. The book has nothing to do with the topic that I was writing about, but I just wanted to try to take that kind of prose style and apply it to this woman who was born in like 1857 in like Western Pennsylvania and try to like write her life in this style and just kind of see what happens. And I feel like a lot of the, the essays ended up with this kind of collision between the topic that I was interested in and just some kind of like essayistic form that I wanted to try to approach it with. You know, for you, when you're like setting out to, to write an essay, you know, what is, you know, what is the, the, the seed uh, that, that starts for you? A lot of them, I mean, a lot of them in this project had just had to do with like place like that ended up being the the piece of it that if I couldn't get a topic, if I couldn't understand a topic really effectively through the lens of the Midwest or of Iowa or Oregon, um, if I couldn't think of it through that lens, like it didn't really work. And so a lot of the time I would just be sort of, I would think of an idea that I'd be kind of interested in. And that would be the sort of the test for whether I could like keep it in this project because it was really place-based uh, essay collection about like growing up in Iowa and then, you know, moving out to the West coast. I've been living in Oregon for about uh, almost 10 years now and being able to try to think through like a sort of like, dislocation and like in a way like a, a certain kind of estrangement in place like being able to think through that lens toward an idea so like when i start writing about like home improvement as a sitcom like you could write about any kind of television show but like home improvement was interesting to me because it was set in the midwest in a way and it, like it's a, it's a topic that i can think through in terms of like its setting and its location and how that location affects its characters and um, that kind of that kind of sensibility and um, being able to do that for each piece and still have it be a kind of like surprising uh, approach like that was sort of what was really driving me like I have to be able to do that for each piece but I also want each piece to do it in a different way. So what is kind of a chicken and egg question you know. What came first, the the idea of um, you know this essay collection of distance from Slaughter County uh, as an idea, or did, had you written a few essays and this notion of place, be it Blockbuster, Oregon, California, Iowa, Home Improvement, did those did those things start? Did you just write those and then you're like, oh my god, uh, this this theme sort of unconsciously started bubbled up and then you a collection started to form as a result of what you were working on i had i had like the idea of the theme like really from the beginning one of the first like really big essays in the book um, it's called the problem with landing and it was really where i started writing the book it was i had been reading a lot about the midwest this was kind of in 2018 there had been a lot of like sort of discourse about the Midwest and about Iowa in particular after the 2016 election there had been like a a wave of journalism that had sort of descended on um, Iowa after the election trying to understand how people had voted there had been a kind of like counter discourse to that of people just like picking apart what these journalists were doing going into diners and asking these like random people about how they voted um, there was just a lot of a lot of thinking about what the Midwest represented. Um, Iowa was getting a lot of attention in particular because it had it had voted for Obama in the 20, uh, 2008 and 2012 and then had um, flipped to Trump in 2016. So it was getting a lot of attention. There were a lot of people who were writing in a lot of different kinds of media about what it like what it represented there were a lot of books coming out from writers in the midwest who were kind of representing themselves and making an argument for themselves rather than from uh like coastal journalists and it just kind of got me thinking about like what it meant to me to no longer live there to be living um, in oregon and to be trying to have some kind of like thoughtful relationship to place where a lot of the things that I was reading didn't quite didn't quite ring true for me or they didn't feel like exactly 
like they applied to the way that I was thinking about Iowa or what it meant to me from there. And so I started working on this essay about flyover country and what it meant um, for that phrase to be thrown around all the time. And it really started to feel like this is this is more than an essay. It's it's a larger idea. And it'll be the project to try to come at that idea in some like different and hopefully like unexpected ways and being able to try to like find the like the tensions and the contradictions and explore them and sit with them and like being able to approach the some of the discomforts of place and kind of dwell there in a way that hopefully feels like productive and constructive and new um, but it, it definitely started at the beginning it definitely was part of the the onset of the of the project and just finding from there like finding different ways that i could come at that um, theme that didn't feel like predictable or didn't feel tired but yeah it was from the beginning at what point did you feel like you might have been something of a of a black sheep you know in from washington iowa and you were uh you know, a, a bit more liberally slanted growing up in a pretty conservative family. And now you write pretty candidly about that in the book. And I wonder at what point did that strike you? Like, you know, I, I might need to, it's probably in my best interest if I find some other place to live. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, I sometimes I think I'm just like a very easily persuadable person. Like whoever I'm, <laughs> whoever I'm in the immediate presence of, whatever idea that they have and are confident about it's like just like yeah i absolutely completely agree with what you're saying and then i go talk to somebody else and they have the exact opposite opinion like yeah absolutely (laughs) i agree with what you're saying and i don't think it was that i felt like i had a different perspective necessarily but like once you know i grew up in like you know pretty rural southeast iowa pretty small town and then i went to you know the university of iowa for college and it was just a really exciting like Iowa City is a great, interesting, exciting place. Um, it's a very literary town. There was a lot of like, there's just a lot there to pay attention to and learn from. And um, it just started complicating my sense of like, even of what it meant to live in Iowa, to try to like reconcile the fact that like my small town in like, kind of like in farmland of Iowa that's Iowa, but like, so is Iowa city. So is everything about Iowa city and being able to try to think of that space as like the same in a way that they're both part of the same, like larger culture. And they're both part of like, they're both connected. They're part of the same community in a lot of ways. I think that's what interested me, like less than my own, like personal, like political proclivities, just the, the, like the kind of contradictions and tensions that like live alongside each other all the time um, in a way that's just like completely normal and completely like ordinary to a sense. In my several drives uh, across the country is like, uh, I'm very impressed with Iowa's windmills. Like there is, uh, you know, just as far as the eye can see, once you get into Eastern Iowa, I was very impressed. (laughs) Oh, they're everywhere. I mean, even, even when you're just driving around, I mean, there's, there's, there are so many being built that you can't you can't be on the interstate without seeing uh, the blades being hauled yeah. by these you know gigantic you know uh, semis that are just hauling them all the time. Yeah, it's and I mean even that has been like it was, it was controversial. It was, it was one of those things where people had to like kind of look at what the values were of their community and decide how they wanted to use space and how they wanted to like kind of think of their landscape you know they're not necessarily like pretty to look at yeah it was one of those it was one of those sort of changes that like iowa certainly had to kind of like work at and reckon with and it's still yeah it's still controversial yeah on the let's see on the let's see eastbound side there's a, a lot a lot of really good rest areas i'm like a rest area connoisseur because we've driven cross country yeah. so many freaking times and uh there's one that's like, uh, it's got to be near iowa city because it's a uh, it's a very literary rest stop because there's like quotes from kurt vonnegut on certain things and among uh, other writers and these little like there'll be a picnic table and a little sort of 
uh, a little cover, and then on that cover is a cut out of the metal is some quote from some famous writer. I'm like, that is pretty cool. And then, uh, you know, like on the other side too, there'll be like um, on the westbound side, there was a you know giant windmill blade just uh, mounted there like a statue, and you look up and like, holy shit, these things are like <laughs> like 125 feet long or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It's one of those like perception, just like distortions. When you're up close to them, it's unbelievable how big they are. And then once they go up in the air, they just seem like tiny. But yeah, I believe it. <laughs> there are some amazing, amazing rest stops on I-80, especially between Iowa City and the river. Yeah. Um, yeah I wanted to talk to you about uh, voice, too. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's paramount importance to essay. You know, you know when you're reading Hanifa Durakib, uh uh, Elena Passarella, our mutual friend, you know, among you know, Chuck yeah. Klosterman, so many others that you're like, okay, you know, that's part of the appeal of essays. Like, why would I want to read something bland? I want to read something that does have some sort of dynamism on the page. And so for you, like, how did you forge your, your voice through, you know, through your, you know, through your taste and practice? Yeah, I, I mean, I spent a lot of time stealing from other people yeah. or, or borrowing from other people. Um, yeah, just like kind of having close that that stack of writers whose voices are just really, really engaging and um, and exciting to me. I mean, I had um, Amy Fusselman's book close at hand like the entire time I was working on this. I mean, she has a bunch, but Idiophone in particular. I had J.D. Daniels, the correspondence, really close at hand all the time. Like his his humor is so interesting to me the way he can like turn on a dime in the middle of a sentence and do something different it's just really interesting to me um i mean like paragraph by paragraph within my book i feel like i could probably tell you what i was reading at the time <laughs> right. and just like trying to imitate and that's always like one of the it might be like a crutch in some way that like i really have to be like trying to like respond to someone else's voice or like trying to imitate a voice that I'm really interested in. Um, but yeah, I had, had a whole stack of, of, um, writers that I was excited about. And I spent a lot of the time working on the book, like reading it out loud. Like that's kind of one of the tests that I have for whether things are going well. Like when you start to read work aloud, like you can tell, when you get bored with it, because you'll start kind of mumbling, you'll like, you know, you'll start skipping over stuff. And if it's something that I don't even have it in me to like, like say out loud, like to read an essay from start to finish, you can kind of tell where you get a little uh, tired. And like, that's the point where it's like, all right, well, I got to stop here and go back and do some work because I've lost my own interest in what I was saying. Um, and that was kind of one of the tests that I gave for the for the essays. I wanted to be able to read all of them, like from start to finish, without without getting bored, without getting kind of like without losing interest. And I think reading aloud can be one of the ways to make sure that the essays do have like a fair amount of personality. Um, but it can also be it can also be kind of a challenge too, because on the other hand, you can you can read something in a way that makes it sound a lot more interesting than it is that you can, you can kind of perform the essay aloud mm. and give it some personality that doesn't necessarily happen on the page. And so I think you have to kind of keep, you have to keep like both of those things in mind that it is, it does help you identify where the essay might be starting to slow down, but it can also like, it can also, be a little deceptive that it can seem more exciting than it is because you're reading it in a certain kind of way that maybe that joke doesn't really land for someone who's just reading it or maybe the the tone doesn't come off the way you think it does um, if you're reading it aloud but that was one of the things that I spent kind of a fair amount of time with is just making sure that the the cadence held up um, and that I'd be able to just like read the book with a with like a spoken voice, and it would it would work. It would still uh, it would still make sense. Yeah, and the the other danger too with uh, you know fill, uh, reading yeah, reading stuff concurrently with what you're writing, and maybe taking a, a very long time to write a book that 
and I, I spoke with Lily Danziger about this too, because her memoir Negative Space took her close to ten years. You know, and 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 this baseball memoir I had written a, a while ago, and it took me a long time. And it's like you can tell, like draft to draft, like who you might have been reading, and like yeah. and that stuff. Uh, yeah. Some of the weeds I just kind of call voice creep. It's like, oh, there's yeah. footnotes there. Yeah, you got into a David Foster Wallace phase. Let's get that out of there. And oh my God. and it's like one it of those things where me. it's almost like you have to write as fast as you can. That way, you don't get too many influences just trying to like trespass on what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think it's like I think it's a revision thing. I feel like there's if i'm if i'm trying to like uh if i if that like that creep starts to happen in a way that feels really forced or just like uncomfortable or just like ineffective like the the revision process hopefully like smooths it out but i do i like i like the sort of like permission of trying as hard as you can on that first draft and then kind of revising back into something that's a little bit more your own but like also, yeah, like what you're saying, there's definitely people who um, I can't read at all within like 24 hours of trying to produce my own work yeah. because their way of doing it is just something I'm absolutely not capable of. And if I even if, if I try even a little bit, it just it ruins the thing that I'm trying to make. I can't I can't even be within like the same room of a David Foster Wallace book. It's just like, that's just not how I think. Like, I really admire what he does, but it's just not the way that I'm able to compose. And it just destroys, it <laughs> destroys my own prose for sure. It's like a hand grenade of an essay. It's just like, ah, damn it. This is yeah. gonna, he's going to blow up everything if I even read touch that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just can't. I can't do it. But I admire um, a lot of his work. <laughs> I love, like, I, I, I can't get enough of his tennis essays. I think there's like four tennis essays and those I I adore. And I do, those are essays I reread quite a bit because uh, I love those. Uh, everything else I can sort of, uh, you know, take or leave more or less, but it's uh, the tennis ones. I, I, they kill me. And it's, it's that same, it's that same like kind of interest where it's the sort of person who can't necessarily explain how their own genius works, but the genius is there and you can't just like ask them a question directly about how it works because their capability isn't in articulating how amazing they are. Their ability is just like doing the amazing thing. And that leaves work like in the essay, it leaves work for Wallace to like try to help us understand and try to be able to like approach like what makes it so successful. And I, I love that like gap of the essayist being able to try to step in and like help the layperson like appreciate something that they might not understand like i don't have uh like any special interest in tennis but i absolutely agree with you that those kinds of pieces are really like are really gripping just because of your he's like helping you kind of get there as a reader yeah and it it gets to a point of it's like being like that guy at the end of the bench who who can kind of see the matrix of the sport. They just don't have the ability to be transcendent. And they're like, oh, yeah. you know, like, I can't, like him, he was a pretty competitive tennis player, but he wasn't great. But he can right. write about Roger Federer. He can see what he's doing. And he's like, oh, my God. Like, that is that is otherworldly. That is that is Everest, you know, and all the all those people. And he, and he can speak to it, even though he could never pull it off himself. So it's like, it's like just understand it just enough to know that like oh wow I can see what that guy's doing or what she's doing and like that is you guys yeah. need to understand what this person is doing right now I don't think you get it I don't think you understand I'm going to help you understand but I don't think you get it you need to get it yeah. now <laughs> I love that task like for writers like I love that task for like being able to try to like like help scaffold like a reader's appreciation for something and just like try to like get there together and like do the work of understanding together like because even like regardless of like your technical proficiency at something if you're just like in witness to something that's really profound like it is this like kind of tendency to like well how though like how is that possible and just being able to do that like kind of like 
boots on the ground work of figuring out like the act of appreciation i think that's so wonderful and i feel like it's just a really like perennial way for essays to like participate in like in pop culture and sports whatever the case is well it's, it's good to have like that like that space where you have enough of a connection to like the event you have enough familiarity with it that you can be kind of like our guide without being so immersed that it becomes like kind of hard to connect with like you have that like step in where you you have the the access maybe you have the language and you can kind of like be our like our museum guide through the story without it being you're so overcome with like background and story and like that it that it becomes like hard to enter into like if you're the reader who's a novice to that culture and a novice to that community like it, it takes like a voice that can be like welcoming to people regardless of like what they already know about it that's like that's the thing that's so just so tricky but also like kind of an exciting thing to to try to do i i heard um you know the chef david chang the other day on a, on a podcast and he was was talking about how in the restaurant game it's like 99 percent failure i'm sure it's not quite that high but it's pretty damn high and he's like so you're, yeah. you're gonna fail so why not take big swings like you, you, it's you, why yeah. be conservative in this and i kind of think the same thing about about writing in, in voice it's like there's a lot of very competent you know writers out there you know just writing right along all right this is easy enough to read whatever inf information in yeah. information out very forgettable but but with with essays and stuff and I, you know stuff that you've written and we've mentioned hanif and elena why not take big swings because so many so many yeah. voices are very vanilla out there so i wonder for you like how do you balance or what's the calculus between trying not to be vanilla but also you know taking big enough swings that you make an impression that lasts yeah i mean i i i totally agree i feel like and i don't mean this in like any shade to anybody in particular but like the the thing that i'm most if i'm going to put a book down like i'm 30 pages in and it just feels like i'm not this isn't going to be one that i that i finish off like the thing that's happening that i recognize in the book is like the writing is sort of like grotesquely competent <laughs> and it's just like it's it's just good enough at doing the thing that it's doing but isn't really interested in itself like in the language of itself and like trying to cultivate like like that language in like a really intentional way it's just like it's just fine and that kind of like reading experience is the thing that like most like elicits me to, to stop reading and it's the thing i'm like most afraid of like happening to a reader is them just becoming kind of disinterested in the way that i'm writing and it's i think it's why i spend a lot of time like trying to find writers whose whose like style and uh, manner and form are really really engaging and like Elena and Hanif are just like both really ama amazing examples of like people who are paying really acute attention to what they're doing and the way that they're doing it, like word by word, just are really, really um, interested in that. And I mean, I also completely agree with what you're saying about like, like, why not swing as hard as you can? What are you going to, what are you going to do? Like, what's the worst case scenario? Like, I've been thinking about this, like, anecdote that happened to me back when I was in the National Guard and I was like we were doing this like training exercise where I was driving um, a Humvee for my lieutenant and we were supposed to be going up this hill and I was kind of trying to climb this hill uh, in this truck and he just like was yelling at me like to drive faster and he, he just says something like just like floor it like you're not gonna break it <laughs> like the thing that you're doing like is what this thing was meant to do just like floor it you're not gonna break it and i that was just like a really uh i just remember thinking like all right like yeah just you can just go harder and you're not gonna break anything probably um 
and I feel like that's the thing I'm trying to just be uh, more, more like deliberate about like whatever my like instinct is to like when I'm writing prose is what if you turn the knob like a little bit, a little bit up and then a little bit up from there. And like, I'm not going to break anything. I'm not going to break the essay. Probably right. it probably what will happen is the essay needs that it needs to be, it, it needs to be weirder. It needs to be like stranger. It needs to like go after it in a way that's just like a little bit more um, like confident or aggressive or whatever the case is. And um, I think for me, like it's, it's an exciting thing to try to put at the forefront because my instinct is probably like usually the opposite like a usually like fairly restrained fairly spare kind of prose like i think i like kind of default to a a fairly like spare way of writing and i think that's why i get really excited when i find writers who are doing the absolute other thing where they are just like trying as hard as they can to do everything they can with language in a way that is doing justice to their topic and just like like do everything that you can like you're not going to break it just go and just do as much as you can and i think that's an exciting like instinct um and i think it's something that i can learn a lot from because it's never it's never really my my uh my impulse my default setting to do that my default is just to be like kind of like polite and uh direct and sometimes even like plain so you know trying to like put some uh put some more reverb on it is is always like just it just makes the work exciting yeah i love that put some reverb reverb on it well there's also like the the pacino take i think he famously like during takes i mean he would go full out pacino like way out there and usually you know he would the take would be like some reduced version of that extreme take but it's like it's taking that giant swing and then kind of editing back from that and i think you know when you read someone like a or just keep using hanif or elena or even Klosterman, uh it's just like you can tell they're taking big swings and then they edit back but then it's still when you're it's still what they land on is still like very distinct and it does have that reverb you're talking about yeah i mean i remember reading like when I was reading Go Ahead in the Rain, there was, oh, I feel like it's toward the end. It's in the letters um, section of the book. I forget even who the letter was to, but the way that it ends, I was just, oh my God. Like, oh my God. I can't, I just couldn't believe like that he had gotten to the place that he got to. And just like, I had to go back and start reading like pages, like, like prior, like how, where did this start? How did, how did he start creating this effect? Where did it come from? And like, in a way it came from like the first page of the book, like gradually like building this, like sort of like, um, like characterizing these people, characterizing the time they came from, characterizing himself as a listener and just being able to see that like kind of build. And it, it happens like in a moment, a lot of times where the, it's like us, it'll feel like a sentence doing work but it's, you know, it's the book doing work. It's like the whole essay doing work, but it it like comes to a point and like, especially with like Hanif's work, you just like set it down. Like that's just, it's stunning. You know, it's really stunning. Um, But trying to figure out like, how do you do it? How do you like make this happen? Um, I feel like that's like a lot of the joy of, uh, of like being a reader and then trying to be a reader for the purpose of um, like, how can I, how can I even like try to, to do this kind of this kind of work yeah and that I was um yeah yesterday I was just kind of in a in a mood and I definitely needed some like inspiration and I uh I um I I always I kind of default to going to this great um I used to be brain pickings but now she's the marginalian uh Maria Popova's site and I always look mm-hmm. for the Bill Watterson commencement uh address and Bill Watterson wrote you know Calvin and Hobbes and um I always like going to his uh, her analysis of it, but she transcribes a whole bunch of uh, a Kenyan college commencement address. And at one point, at one point, you know, he write, he he says to endure five years of rejection to get a job requires either a faith in oneself that borders on delusion or a love of the work. 
I love the work. Yeah. And I love that. I yeah. love that so much. Just the speaking of the delusion and also just leaning into loving the work. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it feels like both all the time. It feels like this doesn't make any sense to be doing, to like be spending my time with, but right. I'm not, I would never stop. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to stop doing it. I just, it's too, it, there's too much love for it. And, but at the same time, like you always know, like this is, this is ridiculous. It's silly, but <laughs> it's both. Very nice. Well, as our hour is winding down here, Stephen, as I I like to bring these conversations down for a landing, I always love asking the guests for a recommendation of some kind, like anything you're excited about that you'd want to share with the listeners. So I'd extend that to you. What might you recommend for them out there? Well, I was was talking earlier about how I really have been enjoying like short books lately. One of the one of the last like um, just really, really great short books that I read was is called Springer Mountain. It's by Wyatt Williams. And it's a book about food. It's I think the subtitle is like Meditations on Killing and Eating. It's it's about food. It's about uh everything else though too. And like I remember seeing in one of your notes on Substack that you're interested in like a John McPhee esque project. Um but one of Wyatt's like other pieces, he wrote a, an essay that was in Best American Food Writing called After Oranges, where he chases down, like he just tries to kind of like imitate what oranges does. He goes and like retraces some of John McPhee's uh, footsteps and kind of writes sort of like a coda in a way to uh, McPhee's book, Oranges. And like from the background of like the food industry and everything else and his his book uh springer mountain kind of has that like energy to it it has that sort of like mcphee-esque like interest in the mundane and the ordinary that like really like rigorous journalistic interest in like uncovering how the everyday like informs us and like how we might take an ethical approach to it but it also just like has a kind of wildness that's so exciting to me um and he he like lifts off the project and closes it down in 105 pages. It's just, I, it's one of those books that like, when I come across it, I just immediately have to start telling everybody about it. I don't have my copy anymore because I've already lent it out. And I don't know <laughs> what it is, but it's like, it's one of those where it's just like, I, I have to tell everybody about it because I think it's so well done but it's called Springer Mountain. It's really good. Fantastic. Well, you know, a distance from Slaughter County is awesome too. I really recommend it. It's uh, a lot of fun. It's a lot of, it's a, it's a short, a short punchy book, a bunch of wonderful essays. And I really, I really had fun with it. So I just got to, you know, it's uh, just a great job, man. And uh, thanks for coming back on the show to talk about, you know, it and just writing essays and absolutely. Uh, it's great talking to you. I always appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate like, how, like your time and what you do for creative nonfiction, like it's amazing. So, like, thank you so much. Nice. Thanks for coming back on the show, Stephen. Great having you back. Great time. One of these days, I'll get off my ass and treat that dude to a frothy IPA. Don't forget to rage against the algorithm with me over at Substack. I've pulled way back on Instagram and way back on Twitter. It might be deletion time for Twitter. Cue parting shot. And many people are jumping ship to Blue Sky or Blue Ski. I don't know how you pronounce it. Just for consistency, I'll say Blue Sky. I don't know how to pronounce it, but we're going with Blue Sky. We can all agree. Twitter is something of a sinking ship, has been. We hang on because we've been there since 2009. We weathered all the rule changes, and yet we still keep going back to the same shitty restaurant expecting better service and decent food. It's not going to happen. So the reaction has been this. Instagram threads and Blue Sky. Now, nobody is taking a moment to stop and think, why not? quit Twitter and just be done with it. Instead of what will I replace Twitter with? How will I connect? We should see this maybe as a means to purge our systems of this chronic overconnectivity. You might say I'm a hypocrite since I'm on Instagram still and I like I like I enjoy right I like Substack and Substack Notes, which is uh, nothing more than Twitter and the whole ecosystem there is kind of 
it's got social network. You can almost feel like the virus of social networks there. That's the best way I can think about it. Uh, but you can call me a hypocrite. You wouldn't necessarily be wrong. Maybe don't rush to the next new social media because they have all unilaterally proven one thing. Maybe with the exception of like Vero. I don't know what Mastodon's about. There was that mass exodus, remember? You know, it doesn't matter. They get corrupted by their need to glue us to their platform for data, ad sales. Not a single one of the popular social medias, the social mediums, has proven to be this internet utopia. You know, they start that way, but they all end the same. As many of you know, I like to rage against the algorithm and... Yeah, I'm really squeezing my brain to remember those days in the mid-2000s and earlier. Social media was going to conferences, meeting people in person, writing groups, reading groups, readings. As much as I loathe readings, that might be a good essay one day. How to fix the author reading. I don't like them. Anyway, face-to-face meetups. Those bonds, you know, if you had to quantify it, put a metric on it, put a follower account on it. I'd say a, one face-to-face is 100 Twitter followers, even in the glory days of Twitter. Yeah, maybe it takes more time. Maybe it takes more money. Maybe for us introverts, it certainly takes more energy. But maybe this is the time to scramble away from the algorithm and into the coffee shop with two writers and share in something that isn't gamified that feels better than seeing that stupid red heart light up. You know, and instead of like hitting like, you're like, you know what, this rounds on me. For most of us, and I understand some people are fractured by, you know, be it geography or um, physical abilities, or maybe being in person is truly panic-inducing. I won't deny that, and I respect and honor those folks for whom in-person connection just isn't feasible, doesn't work for whatever reason. But for most of us, there's a, a better answer to jumping from one sinking ship to one that will, no doubt, eventually sink. Instead of maybe rediscovering the solid ground that civilization was built on. So stay wild, CNFers. And if you can do, interview. See ya.